All right, let's turn together to Matthew chapter number 11 this evening. Matthew chapter number 11, and we'll be looking at verses 28 through 30. Uh, We have been dealing with these final passages of Matthew chapter number 11, and as the Lord has been revealing much about himself and, of course, much about uh, the sovereignty of God, And uh, if we were to give this a title tonight, we've simply entitled uh, the main subject as Come Unto Me, but we might subtitle it, The Sovereignty of God in Saving Sinners and the Call of the Gospel to All Who Hear It. The Sovereignty of God in Saving Sinners and the Call of the Gospel to All Who Hear It. So let's look at these final three verses of chapter 11. The Bible says, Come unto me, All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You'll notice the phrase, come unto me, that is spoken by our Lord. And it is a beautiful statement. It is a statement of, of course, invitation. But it's also a statement that is a command. It is a command that the Lord here is calling unto Himself uh, those who will call and come unto Him. Now you'll recall that verse 27 we finished with last week, our Lord made a very distinctive statement regarding the sovereignty of God. In verse 27, he said, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. This is certainly a statement that is exclusive. It is a statement that uh, is issued, and it's the, the precept or the principle before he introduces this invitation to sinners. Now, we notice here that this is very exclusive. It says, verse 27, it talks about how no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Uh, Neither knoweth any man the Father except the Son, or save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So we looked at how Jesus defines this unique relationship that he has with his own Father. Uh, He has with God as his Father, and it distinguishes him. Now, on the very basis of the identity of Christ, the Father himself has appointed Christ as the only mediator. And so Christ alone rules over all things with the authority that has been given to him. Now, literally, that phrase, he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him, the one to whom the Son wills to reveal. In other words, like the Father, Christ is free and sovereign to reveal God or to not reveal him to each individual as the Lord chooses. He has this right to reveal or to not reveal. Now that is exclusive right of God. That's why this is a statement of exclusivity. is because it is God alone who has the right to sovereignly choose whom he will reveal himself to. Now again, that is a doctrine that sometimes rubs people the wrong way. It rubs them the wrong way because it feels unfair, it feels unjust. It feels as if God is being mean or he's being angry, and that's the mystery of the sovereignty of God. 
Because in the same breath, after the exclusivity of this right is declared, we see this offer to come unto himself. So we see, on one hand, the sovereignty of God in saving sinners, but then we see this reality in this statement where it says the call of the gospel to all who hear it. So those who hear it, those who hear the gospel will come unto him. They will call upon him. So after this particular invitation, he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's very clear here based on the context that Jesus is not, is talking about a very specific burden. He's talking about that which is toilsome, that which is heavy. Uh, He uses words like labor. He uses the phrase heavy laden. He uses these, these principles to show us that there's something that is heavy. There's something that is a burden. Now, a lot of times this gets mistaken as being the everyday burden that we deal with in our lives. I don't believe that's what Christ had in mind at all. I don't think this is our daily burdens. I think what he specifically had in mind here was the burden of sin and how sin is the very heavy burden and it's the laboring to remove the the consequences or more importantly, to remove the guilt of sin. Man cannot remove the guilt of sin that's upon his own back. So many have taken this passage to say when I'm struggling in my daily life, when I'm struggling with uh, financial matters or I'm having a fight with my spouse, I'm having a fight with my wife, uh, that, that that's what he had in mind. I don't believe that's what the context here is. Now certainly in those relationships, uh, we all need God. Uh, we need God's influence. We need God's uh, help in those. But he's referring to the burden of sin. So I want you to think with me tonight that what is the most crushing burden that man faces? The most crushing burden he faces is guilt. The guilt of sin. The burden that sin creates on the back of men and women. Uh, It is guilt when it's not resolved. Uh, Guilt that is unforgiven becomes a burden. It weighs on us. Uh, Those who are living in this world today who think they're living in happiness and who are living without Christ are actually living with a heavy burden of sin on their back. They're living with this weight upon them. And sadly, many do not even realize what this weight is. What is so heavy on my back? What What is driving me to this point? I've been throughout this series in Matthew, and partly because I've been going through uh, Pilgrim's Progress with the fifth and sixth graders I've been teaching, but in John Bunyan's story, The Pilgrim's Progress, at the very beginning of the story, when Christian sets out and he's leaving the city of destruction because the evangelist came and told him that this city was going to come under the wrath of God because of sin. Well, John, John Bunyan's character, Christian, leaves. The, he, he leaves because he feels the wrath. He feels the burden of sin. But sadly, in that story, his wife and children stay behind. They don't feel the weight. They don't feel the burden of sin. But Bunyan, in the story, he feels the enormous weight, and he sets out from the city of destruction. And throughout chapter after chapter after chapter, he refers to himself as carrying an enormous weight on his back. And that enormous weight is sin. And throughout the story, we see at every, at every corner, every crossroad, he begins to find out 
that he's going to the place where he can put that burden down. And in one of the chapters, he comes to the foot of the cross. He comes, and that's where he finally realizes, my burden can be dealt with. And folks, that's where the burden of sin gets lifted. The burden of sin gets lifted at the cross. It gets lifted because of what Christ has done. So what does this sin burden do? It weighs us down. Now, the one thing that we don't often think about is, again, the the modern church in many ways has kind of corrupted this idea that when Jesus went from town to town, he was just looking for every place where he could help somebody. But yet we saw two weeks ago how he upbraided cities. He, he pronounced a woe on cities because of their unbelief. And he even, he, he pronounced a wrath on Capernaum because he said, you had more light. You saw more than anybody else saw, and yet you wouldn't believe in me. So this idea that Jesus is not dealing with man's sin uh, really is, is a false narrative. But we do see that when Jesus gives this invitation of come unto me, he certainly sees people being weighed down with the burden of sin. So this invitation of come unto me is an invitation of compassion. We do serve a very compassionate God. Our Lord is compassionate. He is merciful, as we sang a few minutes ago. But he's also sovereign, as we sang. Oh, Father, you are sovereign in all the world and in all the affairs of man. And Christ has this right to reveal himself to whom he will reveal himself. And yet man is responsible to respond to the invitation of come unto me. If Jesus was not compassionate, where would we go with the guilt? If you did not have Christ to go to, where would you take your guilt? You'd have nowhere to go. You'd have nowhere to lay it down. You'd have nobody who could lift that burden off of you. Yet who else but Christ himself can take it away? What is he doing? He makes a promise. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And he makes a promise. I will give you rest. The promise is that all who come unto him will receive rest. Now in biblical terms, We understand that rest has various meanings. There is a rest that we can experience here, but there's also an eternal rest and a permanent rest we are going to enter into when the believer steps out into eternity, either by death or the Lord's coming again, where we will enter into an eternal rest that will will never be broken up again. That rest will remain. So we understand that these pictures here are given to us to remind us that there is rest to be found with Christ. So in these verses, verses 28 through 30, we see Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, not only invites, but He commands and persuades sinners to come unto Him. And by coming unto Him, He gives them a promise. He promises them salvation and He promises them eternal life for everybody who comes unto Him. That's a promise. That promise, come unto me. He is calling those who are heavy laden, those who are burdened down with sin, to come unto him. 
It's important that he says, come unto me. He doesn't say, come unto an altar. He doesn't say, come to a church. He doesn't say, go to a preacher. He doesn't say, go to a priest. He doesn't say, come and be baptized. He doesn't say, come to the Lord's table. No, he says, come unto me. Because we know that it is unto him is where the burden of sin is lifted. It is in Christ. Come unto me. So the questions we have to ask ourselves is, is what does it mean to come unto Christ? And what is it to come to Christ? He doesn't leave us guessing. We understand what this coming is by looking at John chapter 6, verse number 35. If you'd like to turn there. John 6, 35. The best interpreter of Scripture is comparing Scripture with Scripture. So we'll go to John 6, 35 and look at the Lord's words and this principle of how does or what does it mean to come to Christ. John 6, let's begin in uh, verse um, 32. It says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Well, that's a pretty straightforward statement. I've said this to you. You have seen me and you believe not. Verse 36, or verse 37, all that the Father giveth me, that's election, shall come. That means without question, that's the effectual calling of God. So we see Jesus, even in John 6, 37, is showing us what it is to come to Christ. Shall come to me and him that cometh to me, there's human responsibility, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Those persons in whom God has chosen in eternity for the Son to save and whom he calls to the Son will come unto him. It is the very electing grace of God that produces faith in Christ. Christ will never, ever, ever reject any sinner that comes to him. Not a single time. He will never tell to one, you can't be here. If they come unto him, he will in no wise cast out. So what is it to come to Christ? It is back in verse 35. He that believeth on me. To come to Christ is to believe on Him. Let's extend it now. Let's go out a little bit further on what He says back in Matthew. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. The word here that's translated labor means to toil with weariness. So all who toil with weariness and are heavy laden, they are burdened down with a weight that they cannot get rid of. So he says, if you are weighed down with a weight that you cannot get rid of, you are to come to Christ. That's as clear as we can put this. If you are weighed down 
by a weight that you cannot get rid of, come to Christ. Now, there are people, again, we mentioned this, there are people who are toiling right now. There are people who are heavy laden. They are doing everything they can to try to remove that weight from their back, that burden like John Bunyan talked about in Pilgrim's Progress. They're trying to find all sorts of works, all sorts of ways to get rid of that weight, and they keep coming up empty. The weight just keeps getting heavier. Christ says, all of you who are heavy laden, all of you who are toiling, come to me. To seek salvation by your own righteousness are people who are ignoring the invitation of Christ. They are trying by their own works to remove a burden that's impossible for them to remove. The problem is, is even if you could remove the sin, which you can't, you couldn't get rid of the guilt. You can't get rid of the guilt of sin. And that is part of that burden. We tell and we say often to people, if you are trying to get saved or you're trying to earn your way to heaven by your own works, your own righteousness, you are trying to save yourself. And man cannot do that. Man cannot save himself. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Again, Paul made reference to this. All of these, all of these thoughts go together. Romans 10, verses 1 through 4. And I love Paul's words, and we can certainly learn a lesson from Paul's burden for his people. Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Now, to have a God that is not according to knowledge is a God of your own creation. What Paul was concerned about in the church of Rome and what he was concerned about with Israel was that what they've done is they have created, instead of having an understanding God according to knowledge, they have a way of righteousness that's their own creation works, right? For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Now, I've got that underlined in my Bible. That's important. Going about to establish their own righteousness. They are trying to find their own standard, their own, their own way of saying, this is what will remove the burden of sin, will remove guilt, and will give me a righteous standing before a holy God. That's exactly, what, that's exactly what Paul was saying. That's what Israel's doing. And he says, my prayer to God is that they would be saved. They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now watch this. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Everyone that believes is the definition that Jesus gave in John 6.35 that to come to Christ is to believe in Christ. The end of the law is Christ. That's, that's where it's to be found. If you are laboring and you are heavy laden, you're trying everything you can to save yourself, Jesus says, come to me. 
The Lord Jesus Christ promises that he will, without exception, this is important because we're accused of preaching this false gospel that people just, they don't listen closely enough. The Lord Jesus Christ promises that he will, without exception, receive all who come to God by him. He's not going to refuse any. Now again, that's that delicate balance between the sovereignty of God, God revealing himself to whom he will, and the responsibility of man. Again, we've said this, we said this this past Sunday. That's why we preach the gospel without exception to every single person we see, and we do not exclude it from anyone, no matter what they look like, no matter what their background is, they hear the same gospel. Because it's not up to us to determine or to reveal, it's up to us to proclaim the truth. Yet, Jesus Christ has the sovereign authority to reveal himself to whom he will reveal himself. This heavy weight, this laboring, is who Jesus is speaking of. Now let's add to the, the, add to the invitation here. And I will give you rest. Now, we often see the word rest, and the first thing that comes to our mind is relaxation. We think about taking it easy. When we see the word rest, we think about resting, putting our feet up on a, on a, in a chair or, or laying down on a couch or just, just not doing anything. But it has more than just a meaning of resting. It also has the meaning, in a sense, of refreshment. That's the rest that Christ gives to sinners. There is a removal of the labor of trying to save yourself by your own works and a restoration or a reviving of life. When you come to Christ, you begin to realize just how wrong you had it. How you were trying to do everything you could, and yet this invitation, come unto me and I will give you rest. I will give you a reviving of life. And we often say, well, this rest is free. This rest was not free. This rest is what Jesus Christ paid for on the cross. Don't ever say your salvation was free. It cost Jesus Christ dearly. He paid the price. He accomplished your salvation from beginning to end. Not just made it possible, he actually accomplished it. He gives the he paid the price, yet he gives it to us freely. He purchased our salvation with his own blood. Now what is he saying? I give that salvation freely to all who will believe in me, and this is a present rest. Every person who comes to Christ, every person who believes on Christ, the moment they believe, they enter into this rest that Jesus was talking about. Now, in our study on Sunday mornings in the book of Hebrews, we dealt with this way back. But in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, the writer of Hebrews made mention of this rest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. There is this rest that's not only 
for now, but this rest that is a permanent, eternal rest. This rest is refreshing. This, re- this, this rest is going to be permanent. But in John chapter number 1, uh, Jesus also says that this, this is a rest that is satisfying. John chapter 1, verse 45. John 1, verse 45. And as Philip, Philip finds his brother... He says, Philip findeth Nathanael, saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. I love this. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael says unto him, Whence knowest, or how do you know me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Jesus says, Before Nathanael, or before Philip ever said anything to you, Nathanael, I saw you. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. And he, that's Jesus, saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is a complete rest, a satisfying rest from all the toil and all of the attempts to try to not only secure your own righteousness, but it's also a rest from the condemnation of God. Folks, do you realize what it is to not be under the condemnation of God any longer? That is a restful state. There is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Folks, that's why I can put my head down at night and rest peacefully because I am no longer condemned. I am not under the wrath of God. That's an amazing truth. The rest that Jesus was talking about in Matthew, don't try to water it down by just saying it's a rest when you get to put your feet up and relax. This is a rest that is a perfect rest and it is free because we understand that we are free from all the labor and the burden and the guilt of sin. It's the perfect rest of a perfect salvation. Folks, you realize we cannot make the salvation that Christ provides any better. You can't can't alter it. You can't amend it. You can't do something with it that says, I'm going to make my salvation better. It's already perfect. It's a complete salvation. It's a rest from all sin. It's a rest from all afflictions. It's a rest from all temptations. It's a rest from all sorrow. It's a rest from all unsatisfaction. But then Jesus says in verse 29 of Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you. Now this is where we get into submission. 
And Christ is saying, yes, there is this call to come unto me, this perfect rest. But there's also, along with the call to come unto me, don't miss the reality that there is submission and obedience required. There are many who want to come unto Christ and get rest and salvation, but then they say, but I don't want to have to submit and I don't want to have to obey. Salvation includes Jesus Christ being the Lord of your life. A perfect salvation is not going to allow you to have this perfect salvation and then simply say, I have no desire to obey and I'm not submitting to this God. No, he says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke is something that was meant to keep the oxen in line. It was something that was put upon their head and their neck to keep them and it would, it would actually bow their head down. This yoke is, a, is a, the, the, the word pictures here Jesus is using. Every person in his day would have understood what that yoke looked like. It was a yoke of submission. Now, folks, that's not easy. We are not submissive people by nature. As a matter of fact, we are stiff-necked by nature. We are much easier to just bow up and say, I will not submit, I will not obey. And it's not just when we tell our kids they're that way, adults are that way. We tell our kids, you're being disobedient, you're not submitting, you're not obeying, and we don't want to obey. It's not the natural thing. But when Christ has saved you, we, we want to take on this yoke and we want to not only have a profession of faith, but we actually want to live out our faith. He says, not only do you take this yoke, he says, you learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. To be meek and lowly in heart, what Jesus means by this, is this is the way in which redeemed sinners are actually able to bear this yoke. You realize the only way you will willfully put on the yoke of Christ is in a meek and in a lowly condition. There's no room for pride in the body of Christ at any level. We cannot be prideful about our salvation. We cannot be prideful about our standing in Christ. We cannot think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Yet think about Jesus. Notice again what he said. Learn of me. He's now drawing the eyes to himself and he says, I am meek and I am lowly in heart. Isn't it amazing that Jesus himself says, I'm meek and lowly in heart and he wants us to be the very same way. He gave us an example. He endured great hardship for us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 3 the writer of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied in your mind." Jesus is not just an example of faith, but he says, it says he is the author and finisher of our faith. He endured great hardship for us. Paul, as he was writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, describes what Jesus actually did. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8. 
He says, let this mind be in you. Remember, this is the concept of meek and lowly, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He endured great hardship. He, sub he became obedient unto death. John 18, verse 11 says that he clearly submitted to the will of his father. John 18, 11. These are, these are tremendous principles. John 18, 11 tells us, then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Remember, Peter thought he was doing Jesus a favor by cutting off Malachus's ear. And he says, no, 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 Peter. Don't you realize that I am going to drink the cup that my father gave me? There was no turning him. He was perfectly submitted to the will of God for us. In all these things, Christ has left us an example that we're not just supposed to appreciate, but we're actually supposed to follow. 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter makes mention of this in 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 25. The Bible says, For even hereunto were ye called, because... Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Those stripes, those wounds were made by our own sin. And it's Christ who healed those wounds. And he says, This is the example that you should follow. And then back to Matthew 11. Again, a lot of passages tonight, but this helps us to see. He says, meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Folks, listen, if, if you are a child of God tonight, if you have been saved, you've been redeemed, you truly do find perfect rest in Christ. I am no longer at any level of my life trying to establish my own righteousness. I'm not trying to earn my way. I realize that there's, no, there's not one law I could keep. There's not one activity I could do that's gaining any, any entrance into the kingdom of God. It's all about what Jesus Christ has done. When I say I'm at rest, I'm at rest because of what Christ has accomplished, not because of what I'm doing. I say this often. I am not adding to my salvation by standing up even here tonight and preaching the word of God to you. I am not adding. I am no more saved than you are if you're in Christ. I don't have any more access to God than you do. There's a, there's a, a fallacy that people think that pastors have a special line to God. I don't. You are invited the same way that I am 
to come boldly before the throne of grace in a time of need. You don't need me to get there. It's an abomination to think that I would need another human being to get to Christ. No, I'm invited on his merits. When you truly find rest for your soul, you find rest for your soul because you are resting completely in him. You're not only trusting in his obedience unto death as your only righteousness and redemption, but you are also understand even your conscience is screaming to you, I know I'm in Christ. But as a result of that, we do want to follow in his steps. We do want to be obedient. That's why the Apostle Paul said the grace is not a license to sin. And I would say it over and over and over again. If you say you're in Christ, but I can do whatever I want to do, i do not sure you're really in Christ. It's not a license to do whatever you want to do. We obtain rest in a faithful Savior. We trust in every aspect of His providence. We trust in every aspect of His sovereignty. We have rest because we have a heart that believes in Him. And the final verse, verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Everybody who has come to Christ, who's believed on Christ, finds that verse 100% true. His commands are not burdensome and they're not grievous. If you are burdened, you're missing what he said. My, he says, my yoke that yoke that you voluntarily submitted to that is on your neck and is making you bow down and making you meek and lowly in heart, he said that is not burdensome. He actually uses a word, easy. It's pretty amazing. The easiest, according to the Lord's words, the, the easiest existence in this world is to have faith in Christ. Now, on the flip side, he doesn't mean that your life is always going to be easy. Because we also know that in the same breath, Jesus at times has said, the world is going to hate you, but know this, it hated me first. But what does he mean by easy? He means it's easy because to submit and to obey the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you ought to make it an easy thing to submit to. The yoke of Christ to the believer is not something that's heavy. It shouldn't be something that's burdensome. It shouldn't be something that feels like the weight of sin on your shoulders because he has lifted the burden from your shoulders. It actually should be easy. Imagine no longer having the burden of thinking you can earn your way to heaven. Imagine what it is to have the burden of sin lifted. I don't know how many times I've read Pilgrim's Progress, but that's one of the best parts of that book is when John Bunyan, through the character Christian, begins describing what it felt like when that burden came off. And everybody along the way, there are so many characters that are moving in that book, and as they're moving around, a lot of them are trying to talk him out of it. It's almost as if they're trying to put the burden back on him. And one particular one, when he, he meets the character who is, who is supposed to be the picture of Satan himself. I remember reading this to the fifth graders and just trying to, trying to get them to understand what's happening in this book. And Satan was doing everything he could to convince him, are you really Christ? And he starts saying things, 
Do you know what you've done? Do you know what your past was all about? And Bunyan doesn't say, I had a clean past. He admits to it. He says, I I know what I was. I know I was a sinner. I know that the weight on my own back, that own burden was by my own doing. But he makes reference that Christ, when he went to the cross and he looked up to the cross, that burden was lifted. I'm no longer being weighed down by that. Satan could get no inroads with him because he knew that he was safe and secure in Christ. Folks, that's what rest looks like. Imagine Jesus himself saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You hear people say it often, and I cringe when I hear this. I'm just suffering for Jesus. We don't have a clue what it is to suffer for Jesus. Because even in our worst suffering, we will not have endured what Jesus Christ endured to save us. In 1 John 5, 3, I love what he says. I'm going to begin in verse 1. He says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him and begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. He said, that's, that's one of the ways you know that you are in the faith because his commandments are not a burden to you. Whatever he calls you to is not a burden. Imagine thinking about this coming to Christ, having this perfect rest, yet realizing that when you came to Christ, it wasn't just a one-time thing. You are invited to continually over and over and over again keep coming to him. We're invited to go to the throne of grace. And not just invited, but to come how? Boldly. Not bold in our arrogance. Boldly based upon the merits and the rights that Jesus Christ has secured for us through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and his ascension as our great high priest and as our mediator seated at the right hand of the Father. We're always coming to Him. Just like we don't just repent one time. We repent, and then we repent over and over and over again. Why? Because we are going to battle the flesh for all of our lives. And folks, do not get discouraged when you're battling the flesh. It says it's going to happen. Don't get comfortable in it. But don't be surprised when you're not doing the things that you should do, and you're doing the things that you shouldn't do. The Apostle Paul said this was his life. But he never said, well, that's just the way it is, so I won't keep fighting. No, he fought every step of the way. I am not going to. I'm not going to just give in. What an amazing experience for those who know Christ to be able to call Christ our own. My yoke is easy. One of the notes in my Bible that has been such a help to me with regard to this My yoke is easy. It says, following Christ is the best life that could ever be lived. 
for he is a gentle and humble king who serves his people. Though hard on our sins, Christ's commandments lead in paths of pleasantness. There is no greater and better place to be than in Christ. Come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the promise of our Lord. I hope that will encourage all of us tonight. Let's finish by singing the hymn on 442.